Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. So this record, though, was also called Tease, right? It was. <laughs> yeah, that was imaginative. <laughs> Not my idea. Not my idea at all. They had um, an interesting marketing situation. Um, the a woman who was in charge of publicity at the time, uh, Laverne Perry, whom I to this day absolutely adore. Um, was our champion at, at Epic. Um, she, anything we wanted or thought we wanted, you know, I just took it to her. Um, but when it came to marketing and that kind of thing, man, that was crazy. So I didn't want to call the album Tease. We did that already. And so their point was, well, yeah, but nobody knows that record. And it's like, thank you so very much. I appreciate the vote of confidence. Um, but that's, you know, and so it ended up being called Tease. So this decoration thing with the chiffon drapes, and then they wanted to have a woman on the cover. Well, we're the band. How about we be on the cover? I mean, the last cover we did was an art thing because we wanted to establish that logo. Um, but then we didn't take it with us because... Ollie owned it, so that's that's kind of where that went. And so they came up with this art. They wanted to put a girl on the front between these sheets with the letters on them. Okay, great. So then we have a model call where they have all the cards, and you know they want to pick you know a model to be on the cover. And there was uh, you know I'm glad at least they let me be a part of this conversation. Um, and as we were going through the selection process, I saw this beautiful black girl, short hair, very kind of African. It might have been Rashamba Williams. I'm not sure who it was in that, at that time. But, um, and I said, uh, her. That's who I want right there. 
the art director at the time says, well, you know, Kipper, you, you don't want to, you don't want anybody that's too niggerish. And I was like, did he just say that to me? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, well, you know what I mean, right? I mean, you don't. And I was like, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, and they ended up. I, I kind of opted out, of course, because I was in school. And then they, this girl, Kara Young, Kara Young, ended up becoming some great big supermodel person, but she was a hateful somebody that day when she came in. And they were kind of setting up the shot and all of this kind of stuff. Um, or her next shot, I guess she had shot some stuff. And so I was just trying to make small talk with her. And I was like, so, um, you know, do you do this, like, for a lot of people or whatever? And she goes, look, I do not talk to unknown musicians, okay? And I was like, okay, this shit is going from bad to worse. I'm an unknown musician, but this is my record, so check this out right quick. Okay, listen, folks, that's a wrap. We're done. <laughs> yeah, I shut that shit off, like, right then and there. But we got more to know. We don't have any more to do today. We're done. We are so done. Yeah. yeah you can have Miss Supermodel go on her way. Yeah, we're done. It was That was a horrible experience. That whole yeah, thing. that sounds wow. I mean, that's a horror show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she, you know, again, you know, I didn't want anybody too niggerish. So Kara is probably real close to passing, you know, and she's that that girl, you know. And I was just like, every time I look at that album cover, I just, I'm reminded of that whole. That whole situation. The back cover should have been the front cover, and that should have been it. You know. Yeah, at least call it Tease Two or something. You know, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was confusing to me, and I was close to the music business. You know. Um, <laughs> the record, though, it was a strong record for sure, and um, you know, more of the uh, Minneapolis sound influence uh, for sure, and the you know style i would say and um better wild especially um had that kind of minneapolis synth heavy funk feel to it and uh the note a little bit of prince uh, in there and then you did a remake of body heat which uh <laughs> huh? yes sir. yes sir yes sir i'm a you know needless to say i'm a james brown disciple and um we used to we used to play it back in what I guess seventy six seventy seven when it was out, and um, and I was like, what if we do what? And then we started playing it live, and I was like, I think we need to put this on the record. They were like, yeah, because it it was killing live. And I also have on video, uh, tease live at the Roxy, nineteen eighty six when that album debuted, and um, wow, that's. I showed it to my manager, and he was like, what the fuck were you on, bro? You're just like, what kind of energy is that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> did, did they try to uh, put Body Heat as a single at all, or try to get? No, no. There were two singles from that album, and that was uh, 
Firestarter and um, I Wish You Were Here. Oh, okay, that was a ballad, yeah. Yeah, that Rex and I wrote. Mm -hmm. um, then Total Control had a little bit of a Jesse Johnson kind of thing going on in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Total Control was uh, really chucky. Um, it was like a flash update to me, that one. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck. That was that was Chucky's funkiness all over the place, um, and uh, yeah, and I did lyric and melody, but yeah, that was a that was a fun rock. I like that one. So when you guys got to number eleven, you know, Firestarter did what it did. Uh, how did that change your perspective? Um, I'm not sure that it did. I mean, it was the same old grind, really, to me. Um, the view got a little different because now um, the the promo tours are scaling up, uh, and and the label seems to not mind to send you on the promo tour. Uh, you know, they send us out on those big cavalcades with Tony, 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 and um, no, is that the Tony, Tony, Tony year eighty eighty six. Probably before them. Yeah, that was that was eighty eight. Yeah, um, eighty six was. I'm trying to think, we did. I think it was more clubs kind of stuff. So that wasn't. Yeah, we did a promo. I mean, okay, so this that was the year we got the the uh, old beat up Run DMC bus with the uh, with there was a hole on the floor in the back of the bus and the exhaust was coming in. It was, yeah, it was bad. Um, but, but yeah, this was our promo tour. At least we got a promo tour because we had a number 11 record. So, and, uh, and we went out on that bus and we played, you know, the Chitlin circuit, basically. You know, on the, on the company's expense, it wasn't, we weren't making any money doing it. So, mm. You know, and there was no such thing as, you know, have some T-shirts printed and do a merchandise table and make some money. I mean, you know, we didn't we didn't know anything about any of that kind of stuff. So, did they give you a music video for that track? I so wish that we. If I think if we'd have done a video for Firestarter, it could have been a number one record. Um, but Kipper hated video, and he fought uh, tooth and nail against the video for Firestarter. And because he was pissed off about the album cover experience, he didn't want to do a video for Firestarter. So we they we didn't. <laughs> yeah. And um, then for the next single for I Wish You Were Here, we did. Um, and Kipper shut his mouth because <laughs> sometimes he couldn't too much. Um. Yeah, so I wish you were here charted, but it wasn't a hit like uh, Firestarter. No, it's, it, it gets a lot of um, critical acclaim. I don't know if you want to call it. I mean, people love that song. That song was written from a very um, personal place uh, for me. Um, that year, I found out that my grandfather was dying, and I kind of, my grandfather was like my best friend, my support system, my 
<laughs> my get out of jail free card. He was he was all of that, and uh, so it was um, kind of written from perspective of how am I going to feel when he's gone because he's leaving for sure, and so I just kind of wrote that song from this place of loneliness and. Um, so I think people feel that, and they it's, get it's 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 got a dramatic quality to it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think you know, I think people get it. You know. mm -hmm. Yeah, my grandfather too was uh, so important to me. He's a, he really was a huge influence on my whole musical interest. Mm -hmm. You know, so well, yeah. well, that's really cool. Yeah, so you you get it. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. yeah. Um, so you came back with uh, remember you finally got an album title. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, how about it? You remembered to have a title, and uh, <laughs> what what changed, and uh, what can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, um, so Larkin left, Larkin retired from the business, and I'm like, oh, now as soon as I get to finally get close to you, you leave. Um, so he he left, and so our champion in the label. Uh, was kind of gone. The new guy, his name was Bernie Miller, and he was a radio guy. Um, to be honest with you, I was always very hard on A&R people. Um, as a songwriter, um, you better know what you're talking about when you talk to me about songs. That's all I'm saying. So don't come at me talking about, oh, I think you should do this. Well, I don't think so. Because <laughs> that's not my I didn't write it, so why do I want to do it? But, um, yeah, I was I was hard on label people. I mean, you know, I remember asking someone, an A and R person, "What do you do again? What is what is it that you do?" Because I don't get it. Why why are you just like interjecting yourself where you have no business? Why are we having this conversation? But anyway, that, um, so Bernie Miller was, I guess, trying to make a name for himself and, and really be a lot more hands-on. Um, also, we weren't in the deal with Stephen Shockley after the uh, first record. Um, we just decided we didn't, you know, we would handle the production chores. Uh, and Stephen was cool with that, you know, and so he kind of walked away. Um, Bernie had ideas about what he wanted us to do. He bought in this Al Green song. Um, and he wanted, uh, I think, I think there was some, what do you call padding your pockets? What do you call, uh, there's another name for that. Um, kind of some backdoor stuff going on, um, with the money. Um, I don't know what it was, but Bernie came and said, Hey, um, how about we get M. Tume to produce your record? And I was not mad at that at all because I'm a huge James M. Tume fan. Um, and not just from his stuff with his group, but the outside stuff with M. Tume and Lucas. Um, you, know, just, you, know, you know how to love me and uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, just yes. My answer was yes. <laughs> so... Uh, I took the meeting with <laughs> I took the meeting with Toons, who immediately told me, "You need to be doing your own record. You know that, right?" <laughs> and I was like, "Please stop! Please don't do that." 
I have I have these other people I am responsible for. We have to get this record done. Please, let's just do this record. But Bernie starts throwing in these songs. Like I said, this Al Green song, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, gosh. Well, you did the Ann Peebles song on there, the I Can't Stop well, the Rain. That was, that was my idea. Um, I freaking loved the Grand Central Station version. Yeah, Patrice <laughs> killed it. Yeah, so I, you know, I bought that back. And our version is more like their version than it is the Ann Peebles version. Um, yeah, except for a touch of, I felt I had a touch of the Club Nouveau. What they did with, like, Lean On Me was sort of like... Yeah, and I think the, that's and, the... Them too may influence, I think, because that was more of his kind of take on it too. So yeah, yeah, definitely Club Nouveau kind of kind of sound. Um, uh, God, what was the name of that damn song? Uh, never mind. Anyway, but uh, Bernie also bought in uh, "Somewhere Somebody," which has been covered several times. Um, one of the writers inboxed me and told me that our version is her is their favorite version, and I was like, "What?" That's because Aaron Neville cut that song. Um, gosh, I forgot who else. A uh, bunch of bunch of people cut it, but um, we were M. Tume hated it. I don't want to do that country ass song. This is a country song, man. We ain't even do no country record. What are we doing? So I was like, "I know, but." It's a good song, though. I mean, we should, you know. So we went for it, and he said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we get uh, Sly to come in and uh, do the backgrounds uh, with you on that song? I said, Sly, uh, Stone? And he was like, yeah. I, you know me, and I'm not, I'm not knowing. I'm like, you, you know him? <laughs> you can call him? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We might have to, you know, do a a couple of things to get him here, but <laughs> but no. So he showed up, and the backgrounds on Somewhere Somebody are performed by myself and Sly Stone, and he is standing across the microphone from me, and I'm looking dead into the eyes of Sly Stone, singing with me on my record, and. I just broke down crying. I was just like, I can't believe this is overwhelming. This is overwhelming. And he's like, hey, man, what's wrong? You all right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if you hear, if you listen to the record, on the end of the song, he just starts you're just kind of moaning and singing stuff, and and I just you can kind of hear me sniffling, and I just go, mm. <laughs> you know, at the end of the record, it's just like crazy, you know. But yeah, man, that was uh, oh, what an experience that was! Wow, yeah. Uh, so that record, um. You know, we were left to our own devices, basically, again, uh, in terms of the writing and all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's some great songs on there. Remember, I love. Um, and uh, is Tingle Tingles on that album, yes? Yeah, it's the lead song. 
Yeah, yeah. Tingle, I like. Is Baby Be Mine on that album? Or on the album before? Uh, must be the other one. Yeah, it's on T's, not this one. The, the second album, right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the stuff on that third record I thought was really, really good. You know? Well, and you mentioned, you know, at the outset about not being just pigeonholed, you know, and this record definitely had some of that variety, you know, I mean, you even had a blues track on there. God, yes, Bad Reputation, yeah, ZZ Hill joint, uh, written by Denise LaSalle, but yeah, yeah, man, um, you know, it's just how you, feel. whatever you feel like musically you should be able to express, you know, and I don't, I don't think you should be dictated to as to what, you know, what audience your expression should, you know. Oh, yeah. And also just, you know, combining those things into whatever genre it ends up being makes it that much stronger a lot of times because pulling these different influences together which creates something unique a lot of times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the AWB thread uh, reared its head again on that one with the love of your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry, man. I love Hamish Stewart. He is just one of my favorite singers ever. Um, I had a chance to work with him a few years after we made <clears throat> made this record. Um, I was doing a, a thing in, uh, in L.A. called R&B Live. Um, uh, when uh, Vanessa Williams' husband, Ramon Hervey, and Bill Hammond, um, started this thing called R&B Live, and it was every Wednesday night. Um, at uh, It started out at Tramps in the Beverly Center, but moved to uh, 2020 in Century City, which was, I think, formerly the Playboy Club. And then, uh, the Twin Towers there. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the Roxy after that. Um, but yeah, R&B Live was a Wednesday night performance that was whatever artist was in town. Okay, we're L.A., so everybody's coming to L.A., whether it be Shaka Khan or Prince or B.B. and C.C. Winans or George Benson or Hamish. Somebody's in L.A. They come through, and they're the feature artist, and they do their, you know, 30 minutes set or whatever. But I was the mascot. I was the opening act for everybody and so I got to meet everybody and this whole thing was about entertainers and sports people uh, come and hang out and so I became very good friends with Mike Tyson and Wesley Snipes and you know all these people through R&B Live mm. and it was you know just an amazing thing so Hamish was one of the R&B Live artists and I finally got a chance to work with them. I have a picture of it somewhere, but yeah, that was ah, that was awesome for me. And I've worked with his daughter Emma several times since too. I understand. I when I had him on the show, this show, I mean, it was a thrill. I've been a fan for so long, and he was such a nice guy. And just even you know, since then, we've communicated several times. He's just always so nice. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I got to mention on that record, you know, being a funketeer, I really like Kick. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, you know, we we knew that funk banner high, you know. While we, we, we love doing everything else, uh, you know, the funk thing for us is home base, you know. 
So you gotta gotta address that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what they tried to do with kick, but that's again one that I think should have got some attention. Yeah, nothing. Um, there was so much, in that, yeah, and that's a problem that I have with major labels too. Is when there's infighting, that nobody nobody suffers except the artist, um, because the whoever the parties are that are engaged in such behavior are getting a weekly check. But the artists are losing momentum, are losing, you know, airplay, are losing, you know, they, they lose because, you know, because y'all are having this stupid feud. And there's a narrow win window and a small margin for error. Yeah. We can't afford you bickering. We, you know, personally, but that's just kind of what happens. And, you know, and so we've got, we got caught up in that there um, to the point where, um, after you know the the record was over, uh, Bernie himself, uh, the A and R guy, called me and he says, "Hey, listen, I need you to come up here and um, sign the uh, renewal agreement so we can do this next record." Um, now, mind you, during this time, and you know, remember me, I'm the guy who remembers everybody's names when I come to the office and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm, hey, this one, hey, that one, whatever, you know. And one day I went up and they were like, oh, my God, thank you so much for coming. Kipper, can you, you got like 20 minutes or so. And I'm like, yeah, sure. What's happening? Can you help me with these um, envelopes? I got to get this stuff finished and turned in. Um, stuffing Michael Jackson envelopes for the bad record. Um, sure, I will do that for you. Just as soon as Michael Jackson comes in here and helps you stuff envelopes for me, are you fucking kidding me? Did you just ask me that? You know, oh, well, no, I didn't, you know, no, no. So those were some clear signs that were like, uh, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, so when he called and said, hey, come sign the renewal agreement, I was like, uh, does that mean if we don't sign it, we're not doing another record? And he said yes, and I said, hold on, man, let me call you right back. And I called the guys, and I said, listen, I don't want to do another record with them, you know. And they were like, well, what are we going to do if we don't do um, I talked to him, too, May. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a record. I'm going to do a solo record. And, um, and But it'll be just like we're doing a record because it'll be all of us anyway. It's just me dead and whoa, they were hot at me. Derek, Derek and Thomas Oregon, I have no qualms about saying were not happy that I was making this decision. And I called Bernie back and I told him that's it, man, we're not signing it. And he was like, really? Well good luck. Yeah, thank you. And same to you. Um and that was that. Except uh, the CBS, uh, what they did to me was they ended up with the uh, <laughs> the total amount of the record budget for the last tease record that we did, they assigned it to my social security number. <laughs> so you had, it took me, um, you had IRS issues because of that? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. And um, had to hire an attorney, and it was a mess, a mess. All because I, you know, went against the uh, system, as it were. <laughs> what what label did your record come out on? Virgin. It was Virgin, Virgin 1990. Mm -hmm. And um, Ordinary Story? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was, yeah. Uh, uh, strong record, you know. Congratulations on that. All these years later, it's, you know, I think it still holds up pretty good. Um, I think you had some of the same struggles, you know, in terms of getting exposure and airplay and everything that you did before, but, you know. Yeah, it was that, in, that infighting monster once again, and this time it was just on full display. It was just a mess, just an absolute mess over there. Um, but, uh, I'm glad they let me make that record. Um, it's been one of the most, uh, one of the biggest creative joys of my life was making that record. It was a crazy time. My grandfather passed away while I was making the record. Hmm. And uh, uh, another friend of mine, Hank Gathers, who, who you probably know, um, passed away while, um, well, yeah, in March, yeah, right before I was, the record came out. And then, um, so it was a crazy time for me, um, and uh, but I, I just it was just like probably my greatest creative expression to date. Um, you know, I was I was able to make the record that I want. Jeff Foreman um, was the A&R director who signed me over there, and he believed in me and believed in my vision and left me alone. You know, he just like you you know you're players you know what you want to do you know do it you know he would he would kind of corral me if it went too far out of off the rails but other than that i mean you know the um in the dark piece um you know he was like kipper you don't fool with the isley brothers unless you really know what you're doing and you did a good job so i was like oh well, thank you thank you yeah, yeah i was going to mention that definitely is one of my you know, highlights off that record, um, oh. Footsteps in the Dark, and um, I also really liked uh, Carry On. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Watch Over. No, go ahead. Yeah. Watch, watch over, over Me. Oh, yeah. That, now, watch Over Me is Keith Crouch's first production. Um, that was, uh, you know, Keith and Kenneth and I are, are friends, and, you know, I was like, Keith, I want you to produce a song on my record. He was like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I was like, yeah, you are. You're ready. Um, and not only was he ready, but Uncle Andre came in, um, Andre Crouch, and did his uh, and bought his singers and and did vocals, background vocals on the song, which was just a huge honor and compliment. Except for the fact that you know Uncle Andre's Uncle Andre, and he said, "Kip, I need you to come by. We're gonna sit and listen to this whole record." Because there's some things on here that I, I, I don't know. I, I have a problem with. And I was like, oh, Lord, what did I do now? Well, Shockwave has the reference to the Holy Ghost, where it says, felt like the Holy Ghost came, uh, came down and went right through me from the shock. And Andre and Sandra were all over me. They were like, Kipper, now you don't talk about the Holy Ghost in that kind of way. Now you... I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm not being disrespectful. So 
I, I, was I was surprised when I had heard that the Barcase track in the 70s was delayed in part because of the controversy of doing that track, Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, man. The black church, ain't, they ain't have a problem with that. <laughs> they have a problem with that. And then, of course, I sampled their record in there, um, you know, and uh, with scratches by DJ Ready Red from the Ghetto Boys. Um, God rest his soul. He just passed away a couple of years ago. But um, that's a hot track too, Shockwave. Um, some of the stuff done with vocals and that was bringing to mind, like you know, some of the Camille voice stuff that Prince had done. So that is the Mister Who persona, uh, which uh, shows up quite a bit in the Ordinary Story record. And also, if you are at all an EU fan, mm -hmm. um, go go. I did the, yes sir, I did the uh, Living Large album uh, with them, and Mr. Who is on uh, a couple of songs on that record. <laughs> so, yeah, Shake It Like a White Girl, and um, uh, and Living Large, yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, that was fun. Um, but yeah, that's the Mr. Who persona um, <laughs> that, that I was doing that, that, uh, this thing. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking a while, but I got to get, you know, a little bit to your post work um, for sure. sure. Probably most of these interviews you do, they talk, I bet, more about that than about tease, but I wanted to try to flip the script a little bit. Man, and I appreciate that, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you did connect with Vanessa Williams, the former Miss uh, America, and uh, you know, I want to hear about that. And also, I was, I've always been curious with her. You know, the first thing I ever heard her do musically was on George Clinton's record. Um, and I had heard that they tried to kind of steer her away from that because they wanted a different image and all that kind of thing. So I don't know if you have any background on that, but I'm curious about it. And uh, tell us how you connected with her. Um. I don't really know a lot about. I just I just know that she was doing some work with George Clinton, and, and that camp. Um, I don't really know a lot about what that music was or what the circumstance was, um, <clears throat> but I was uh, signed to a. Well, at the time, I don't think I was signed to Larry. No, I was working with a guy named Larry Robinson, um, uh, who's a, a publisher in LA. Um, but we were kind of writing songs together too a bit. Um, but he was trying to manage a bunch of songwriters in LA and that kind of thing. Um, and he was friends with, with Ed X9, um, who uh, was a very historical figure in his own right. And was the first uh, African American record company president of a non African American record company. Um, to was president of the Wing, uh, Mercury label, um, which uh, one of the subsidiary labels was Wing Records. He was over that at first and then became president at Mercury. Um, so at Wing, he signed uh, Vanessa. And um, when Larry got the word that they were looking for some songs, and he asked me, um, you know, he says, hey, A wants to know if you, know if you have anything for Vanessa. I was a huge Jody Watley fan. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Jody Watley. Listen, she is everything to me. So 
um, I kind of felt like, you know, that was a cool lane for Vanessa. And I came up with the idea for the right stuff. And um, I told uh, uh, Larry, you know, I, I want to take this to Chucky and have him really kind of spell it out, um, you know, musically and everything. He said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Um, and, uh, and, and Rex as well. And, and so Rex and I actually ended up really crafting it and making it a song. Um, and so I think that's why he and I are the writers on it. Um, but we took that to Ed. Ed was like, hey, man, I really dig it. Um, I want to play it for her to see what she thinks. Uh, she heard it. She loved it. Um, said she wanted to meet with me and see if I had anything else and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, shoot, I'll, I'll write whatever. It's all good. But yeah. And so we met. At the time, she was like eight, nine months pregnant. She was about to have her baby, um, mm -hmm. Melanie, her first daughter. And, um, and so we went in. Oh, the first thing she said was, oh, I love the song. I just don't, it's, it's not my wheelhouse. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can pull this off. And I was like, I got you. Homie, you are safe with me. And so we went in the studio, and I mean, I ushered her completely through it, and she was amazing. And um, so on the, I don't know if you, of course, you like me, read liner notes. In the liner note, she says, and to Kipper, the lick master, thank you for her. And so I'm like, uh, you are Vanessa Williams. You can't just be calling me the lick master and not explain to people what that means, you know. But, um, yeah, so that was, uh, we pulled it off, man. And that introduced Vanessa Williams to the world as a recording artist, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. And... Um you know, constant, as a DJ in constant rotation with what I did. Um, what, um, you know, how, how did that change your your life? I mean, were you suddenly kind of, um, you know, elevated or catapulted to sort of an entirely different category? Uh, I don't know about a different category, but certainly the phone starts ringing. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, people want stuff. And that, like I said, that's when... Um, those other things started happening, like the five heartbeats, um, you know, at, right after that. Um, uh, I didn't have a lot of big records, just a lot of records, um, you know, just stuff started coming, you know, between 80 and, I mean, between um, 88 and 91 was, like I said, five heartbeats, the ordinary story record, um, yeah, not a, not, a, not a whole lot of stuff. Um, but after the next record, after the comfort zone, is really kind of when, you know, things started happening. Um, and because people are really noticing, oh, he's a legitimate songwriter. And, and that kind of thing. So, you know, that's when you really start getting the calls. Um, and I've, you know, the songwriting thing for me, it's so much less stressful than having to do the artist thing. And I, you know, I, I really just was comfortable with just backing out and not doing that. You know, it's, it's such a, a headache it, with major labels. It's, again, I keep saying it, but it's true. It's different now. The DIY model makes it different. You do you. Um, 
but um, but back then, man, it's just a headache. So um, yeah, I just really just started writing with any and everybody who wanted to write with me. Um, I mean, if you if I went to your house and there was a track playing, or you sat down at the piano, ten minutes later we were writing a song. I mean, that's just you know it was just going crazy like that. Um, but that got me in trouble, evidently. Um, uh, after the Comfort Zone and Freedom Dance, which I also did on that Comfort Zone album, uh, which is probably my favorite record that I've done with Vanessa. Um, and I want to recut it um, because it means so much as an LGBTQ anthem. Um, but uh, after... After that piece, I got in trouble with Larry Robinson, who I had signed to his publishing company, because he said that I was writing songs and not turning them in. And I'm like, oh, shit. I mean, how do I turn it in? There's nothing to turn in. I just, if I go to somebody's house and I just write something and I'm just singing something and there's no recording of it or anything, there's just, we just did. I mean, I don't know. I just felt like it was bullshit. But he came after me. Um, I had long since been out of his deal. Uh, I signed that the deal with him in 86, and we're talking 93 now, 92, 93, after the comfort zone. And he was still, I guess, under this assumption that I was still signing him or anything or something. Anyway, I, um, I'm like I did my time in that get in that deal. You got your money. I don't owe you anything. All of that. Um, Keith Crouch and I started really writing heavy about '93, '90, early '94, and um, he had he was playing the track to um, "I Want to Be Down" at his house, and I heard that track and I'm like, Keith, that's amazing. Have you written it yet? And he was like, No, nah, man. So I went and got my notebook. I wrote the song, uh, myself, Rasan Patterson, Kenneth Crouch, a couple other people, we were all at Keith's house and we were just kind of listening back to it and we were like, whoa, bro, that's like a hit record right there, I, I, just unmistakable. We knew it right away. But I'm thinking, hit record for Vanessa Williams. I just did a double platinum record with her. Um, but. Keith was managed by uh, a gentleman named Daryl Williams at the time. Daryl was A&R at uh, East West at, uh, at Atlantic uh, at that time. Um, and they had just signed Brandy. And he was saying he would like to hear Brandy on that record. And I, I was real hesitant because I'm like, I'm coming off a double platinum record. She's 14. Why are we having this conversation? So, <laughs> But anyway, I, I, Keith convinced me to let her demo the record, and she did, and I had to eat every word I ever said because she was amazing. And, and Vanessa's career was kind of going toward the Save the Best for Last audience at that point anyway. So it was no big deal, and we rolled right into it and ended up writing, what, three more songs on that album? And um, yeah. Uh, I, oh, that was my note about Larry. So here comes Larry Robinson, because I, I was signing a new publishing deal to Chrysalis. Uh, 
Larry found out that I was signing a new deal. He sued Chrysalis. He sued me. He sued LaRonda Sutton, who was the creative director at Chrysalis at the time, um, because he's saying that I was not released from my deal, and it was just a mess. Just an, It's still a mess. 30 years later, it's a mess. Wow. You know. And, and yeah, and, and I just want the world to know that he ended up getting a third of my Randy money that he does not, he's not entitled to. But, you know, it's, was, it's one of was, the flaws and horrible stories about this business, you know. Was that Brandy's debut? Yes, that was Brandy's debut, which is sold upwards of four plus million albums. And, you know, yeah. Um. And of all these other folks you worked with, uh, and you had mentioned it too, I think, but I mentioned at the outset, at some point you crossed paths with Shaka? Yeah, and that came after. Oh, so that was like the next year. Um, I want to say 95 or 96. Um, well, it's because I was still working with Keith and we were just churning it out. Um, uh, Keith gave me the track for something deep. She was working on her greatest hits. It's called Epiphany. The greatest hits of Warner Brothers or Shaka and Warner Brothers, and um, and she was doing four new songs on the Greatest Hits record, and so this was one of the songs on the Greatest Hits record that you'll find there. And uh, she just came in; <laughs> she's funny. Um, she heard the song. She's like, "Ooh, that, that is so me. That's just me. You Kipper, you got it. You nailed it. That is just me all day long." But um, it's just a couple of things that I would say differently, and I was like, okay, here she go. <laughs> and Keith was like, give her. Like, okay, all right, all right. But anyway, she and her brother kind of went out of the room for a few minutes, and she came back in with her tweaks or whatever. And, bro, she freaking sang the paint off the walls. Just killed that joint, you know. And, uh, yeah, that was that was exciting. Every time I hear it, I'm like, Shaka singing my song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she killed it. You, you mentioned the Roxy several times, and I saw some of the best shows I ever saw at the Roxy. But one time in 77 or 78, I saw Shaka at the Roxy. That was just unreal. Unbelievable. Yeah, that, that room is like the Holy Grail. Um, I saw Prince in that room. I saw him too in 79. I saw Prince there. Yeah, absolutely. You were there? That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when he had on the little skivvies. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's only like three or 500 people in that place. Yeah, man. Yeah. My uncle took me because, um, you know, he did, I just I had to go. I just had to go. So he bought tickets and he took me. And I remember Prince saying, you know, this gets cold up here. Or something like that. And my uncle was like, well, you need to put some clothes on. <laughs> I, I was I was sitting next to a, a couple of like older brothers. I was just a teenager, and um, and they were like shouting. They were like harassing him. They were screaming at him, "Hey, princess, princess!" Yes. But the women that were there were swooning already. Oh yeah, of course. And that was the that was the whole juxtaposition, right? I mean, especially later, you know, when he became the most beautiful man you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> You know that was his that was his whole thing. You know the men hate me because they hate me, <laughs> and the women just can't get enough of me. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that was his first West Coast show. Yeah, well, I know it was the first in LA. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that? So I was, I was there for that. I remember uh, George Duke, and then was it George Duke and Patrice Russian? But I remember it was George Duke at the Roxy. I saw George Duke there when Chili was with him and all them. He played drums on Dugu on drums, and well, Dugu Chancellor was part of the band. Yeah, no, and Dugu played drums the whole night, and then Sheila played drums, and then Dugu came down front on Reach for it. And that was like, that was the night I fell in love with Sheila. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. And she plays like a man. <laughs> she does not play drums like a girl. So, you know, that's, yeah. that was the night I absolutely fell in love with her. You know, and um, who else did I see in that room? I saw Herbie there. Oh, wow. I saw, um, I was at George Benson's uh, on Broadway. Live oh, we get the rock. Yes, yes. Wow, that was an, that had to be an incredible night because that record was just, you know, a staple in any 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 true record collector's collection. Yeah, well, it was fun because he told us it was being recorded for an album, so that just made us, you know, that much more interactive in the whole experience. Mm, mm, wow, that was awesome. But yeah, man, love that room and to be on the stage in that room. Like when we did the tease gig, I think I made the statement at the beginning of the show. Wow, we finally made it. <laughs> you know, and then um, and then when R&B Live was at the Roxy, um, Bill Hammond recently uh, sent me a picture and it's me singing uh, Dorian Holly, Julie Delgado and Della Miles singing backgrounds and Greg Gaines, Marcus Miller, Paul Jackson Jr., Everett Harp and Patches Stewart. I don't know who's playing drums, but that was the band. And I'm like, good Lord, that's like. A bunch woo. of scrubs. Yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, is there anything musically on the horizon for you? Sure. So uh, there are two young ladies that sing with me in my band. My band is called Kipper Jones R&B Circus featuring the Black Bettys. And the Bettys are twins. They are Sharita and Cherie Murphy. And they're amazing in their own right. They do a lot of uh, background stuff uh, for artists when they come to LA, and I mean to LA, to Atlanta. And they also sing a lot with Key Sweat and, um, is it People Bryson? Somebody else who's based here. But I know they do a lot of touring with Key Sweat. Even. Um, but yeah, but they're amazing, and they came to me with an idea for a song that is turning into an entire uh, project, but, uh, but the song we're going to be releasing this spring, and it's called You Belong to Me, um, and we're riding this whole Aretha Franklin wave. Um, you know, we have the Cynthia Erivo uh, Aretha Franklin miniseries coming out. Um, and then also the Jennifer Hudson biopic um, that is also coming in August. Um, and this record that we've done is Aretha Franklin 1968 all day long, and I'm so excited about it. Um, so, yeah, so be on the lookout for the Black Bettys, You Belong to Me, and, um, and stay tuned for more music because we're going to you know, pour into an entire project.
And uh, so that's what we're working on now, uh, recording and writing-wise. Uh, and then also waiting for the cloud to lift so we can get the band uh, get the band kicking again. Um, you know, with with Atlanta's dopest solo R&B homage band, and we just can't wait to be working again. You know, as I, I mean, we're all just throbbing at the bit to get back to live music. Yes, yes. Yeah, so hopefully um, summertime, maybe. Yeah, ho hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how can people uh, best keep up with what you have going on? Sure. You can always hit my website, kipperjones.com, um, and, uh, you know, see what's going on there. Uh, you can send me an email at UncleKipper at Gmail. I'm Uncle Kipper everywhere. I'm Uncle Kipper at Twitter. I'm Uncle Kipper at Instagram, Facebook, wherever you'd like to find me. But, um, yeah, so I'm easy to find out. Uh, you know, you can hit me in any of those places. I, I do respond to emails. Uh, if you if you shoot me one, I will that's, shoot that's, you one back. That's going back to the, uh, the Graham Central Station Manager, you know? Exactly, man. How about that? I didn't even think about that, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've gone full circle on it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And nice. I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, I try to be accessible because people need to know um, that you're human, that you care, that you exist, that you're empathetic, that you really, you know, that you care. Um, I, I think it's important. I think, I think what happens, especially with a lot of artists that get, um, too removed or aloof or whatever, um, that you become that, that it even affects you. That you become less uh, aware, and it, and it comes across. It, you know, I think a lot of artists they kind of remove themselves from people. Well, I don't want to be around that, or I don't need to respond to that, or I don't. You know, nah. I think when you do that, it reflects in your uh, presentation, shall we say. And, and it's important to me to um, always be accessible to people, um, and whether that just be, you know, a, a message or, you know, even a phone call or something. I don't, I don't know. I think it's just important, you know, because people don't owe, um, you know, I don't know. For me, I appreciate the position that I'm in. Um, I don't think that uh, anybody owes me anything. Um, I, I, I worked for it, and I appreciate it, and so I'm grateful, you know. And and so I, I try to show that and be that for people. Well, certainly appreciate you being accessible for this Truth and Rhythm uh, show and for all the great music you've brought us through your own work and through the compositions and the production. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you so very much for having me. Um, to, to end out, I just want to say these three things. Um, to anybody who's listening, uh, always remember to be open, be honest, and be humble. And that's really all I got. I mean, that's, that's like the story of my life, man. Just receive it. Be who you are. People appreciate authenticity. And just be humble because... At the end of the day, those of us who are gifted and understand that also understand that we didn't gift ourselves, you know. So I'm just proud to stand, uh, grateful, let me say, to stand in this position 
and grateful that you called and asked me to do this interview. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. And uh, take good care. And we'll see you on the other side of this craziness. And uh, look forward to seeing you out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You as well, man. You God bless you and your family. Um, also, I just want to kind of just shout out a couple of people if I can. Right quick. Uh, thank you to Johnny. Johnny Cornegay, my manager. I appreciate you for uh, setting this all up. Um, I want to uh, just ask everyone when you have your prayer time or whatever, just please say a little prayer for my friend Sinbad when you get a chance. And, uh, and take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind. So just uh, just remember that. And uh, God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.